Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Eye on the Future with Lady Fontaine. Co-host Dr. Jean Cirillo, Julie Zelman, and Frank Zanaro. This is I on the Future. And now, Lady Fontaine. Thank you, Frank. This is Lady Fontaine and... Dr. Jean Cirillo. And we're here every Tuesday evening at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to talk about love, life, career, the metaphysical, the spiritual, and whatever is on your mind. So give us a call at 646-381-4141 to get the best of both worlds as Dr. Jean Cirillo and I guide you on a journey of growth and inspiration. Later this evening, we'll be speaking with Katie Bannister, who is a motivational speaker, and she has quite a story to share with us. So stay tuned. We'll be speaking with her in a little while. Later in the show, Dr. Jean Cirillo and I will be taking your calls. We have a jam-packed show tonight, so let's get started. Our number again is 646-381-4141. The switchboard is open, and we're waiting to hear from you. So, Dr. Cirillo, I understand you were recently quoted in a cover story on, of uh, Life and Style about body image. Can yes. you tell us about you that? Love that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I mean, is this like a? a I know this was uh, geared around um, stars and plastic surgery and and things of that nature, but um, is that a big, big problem in society overall? Oh yeah, that you know, that's why they write so much about it. The body dysmorphic disorder is the fancy name for a distorted image of your body, like let's say the anorexic who sees themselves in the mirror as fat, even though they're so thin, they're practically wasting away. And a lot of these people, especially people that are on stage, actresses, models, they have to look good and they see themselves as fat or they see their nose as bad, their teeth are bad, Whatever it is, people who tell themselves over and over, if only I could change the size of my breasts, if only I could change uh, uh, my nose, my skin, my this or that, and then as they keep changing these things, they have to keep doing it. Like any addiction, it doesn't last because it doesn't solve the problem, which is at the root of it, which is low self-esteem. So they become plastic surgery addicts. Right, and I've seen some some you know um, pictures of some of these women who have gone through extensive plastic surgery, and you know some of them don't even you know I they don't I look good, they look odd. Right, and you wonder what they're seeing, you know that that keeps them going. But I, I like you said, or I believe you said, is um, you know a a not having a good self esteem. So obviously they're seeing themselves in a light that perhaps nobody else is seeing them. But outside of actors and actresses, how prevalent is the problem in society? Well, it happens to anybody, let's say. It happens mostly to women, but, I mean, then you look at men, like, who dye their hair or have hair transplants or plastic surgery. Anybody who feels that they don't attract uh, enough people in relationships or that they're getting old, 
and doesn't want to deal with the fact that you don't have to be perfect to uh, be attractive to other people. As a matter of fact, sometimes you're too intimidating when you're perfect, and a little bit of imperfection makes everybody feel comfortable. Uh, But what happens is these people keep trying to change the physical, seeking a quick fix that uh, the doctor's going to operate, the doctor's going to make me better, and... uh, uh, you know, it, obviously, it, it doesn't happen. It, it would happen, let's say, if you're disfigured, if you have something really hideous that can be fixed. And, of course, you should do something about it. But uh, in the majority of cases, the, the slight imperfection isn't noticed by anybody except you. And maybe if you feel better afterward, it's because you're acting different. Suddenly you feel attractive where before you felt unattractive. But, again, that's a self-esteem issue. And, the, the results will be short-lived because sooner or later you'll find another reason, something else that isn't perfect. I heard something interesting once. I, I remember someone speaking about the disorder, and it was I can't remember where it was, but it was at some sort of seminar, and he stood on the stage and he said, okay, everyone, raise your hand if you can remember that day in high school when you had to go to school and you had the worst zit of your life. And, of course, people raised their hands remembering. And then he said, now imagine feeling that way every single day of your life. Hey, I had to go on television and my skin still breaks out and I get zits that can't totally be covered. So I felt that even as an adult, even though I don't have the kind of acne, luckily, that scars when I have a zit. People notice it, and, you know, God forbid if there's a few of it, naturally oily skin, yeah, and you, you still have to go to school. You have to do something. And if you felt that way every day of your life, you start to act weird because you're thinking everybody's looking at my zit, everybody's looking at my scar or, or right. my extra two pounds here. And, you know, you get people like that at a party. They're, they're grabbing their leg, thinking everybody sees their leg is fat and nobody's looking at them and their leg. They're not that important. And right. in their own mind, you know, they start acting weird. So, of course, people treat you weird. Um, I didn't actually see your Life and Style article, although I'm very excited to go look at it now. Were you commenting on Heidi Montag? She was the, she was the, uh, the focus of the article because yeah, I think that's she's on her 14, 14th surgery now. But, uh, yeah, she, you know, it, it's not only her. It was other stars and then people... Uh, regular people, and often what happens is a side effect is that your family and your people, that, the people that are used to you, suddenly don't like the way you look when you look like somebody different. They have to get used to it, and, you know, that is okay, because if you have glasses all the time and you take them off, people are going to react the same way, or you know, if you have a new hairstyle, it takes getting used to, but again, these people take it so to heart because they think that their husband and kids and everybody is going to welcome them with open arms, and it doesn't always happen. Right. Um, uh, yeah, oh, go ahead, Lady Fontaine. I was just going to uh, ask a question that actually Rachel brought up, and that's um, in what cases, if any, with plastic surgery, is it not a self-esteem issue? Well, again, you know, one thing that I did mention is certainly if, let's say, if somebody was in an accident and they have scars that that they never had before that are very visible or if somebody was born with a birthmark or something that's really out of place that can be fixed with plastic surgery, then sure, by all means, you should go for it because uh, it it kind of, it, it brings you closer to normal. So when there's something that's abnormally bad, 
then you should work to change it. Although if it's something like a weight problem, you, you might surgery might help getting you started, but you still have to follow a diet and a healthy lifestyle. So sure, if you have acne, you know, you try to treat it. If, if you have a, a chipped tooth, you, you get it bonded. But beyond that, it becomes self-esteem when, when, you, when you have something normal and you say it's not perfect. Whereas normal and perfect, anything that, that looks perfect is, is always fake. My mother used to tell me that she had false teeth and she would actually have them a little off color and she would put fillings in them because nobody had perfect teeth by the time they were middle-aged unless they were fake and she didn't want it to look fake. So think about that. Your hair is naturally different colors. Nobody's nose is perfect. Nobody's teeth are perfectly straight. Nobody's perfectly symmetrical and that's okay. If it's perfect, it's fake and the sad thing is sometimes people have surgery and they don't look good, they look fake. Oh right. yeah, well, I know, especially when they have a lot of surgery. I mean that that without a doubt happens. Um is it something that can be solved with therapy? This syndrome or is it really it's a difficult one to it can be worked on in therapy, but, you know, often this isn't, again, a superficial issue. They're trying to solve it with uh, beauty or a quick fix, hoping it is. Normally it's a deeper issue. I mean, an example would be, let's say, if you were told ever since you were a child that uh, you're unattractive, fix your hair, fix this, you don't look right, you're too fat, you're too thin, too tall, too short, whatever it is. Often, if your parents uh, fostered that kind of attitude in you, it, it becomes part of your self-image. You always tell a parent, like if a child is born with a birthmark or something, the kid is going to feel about it the same way as you feel about it, right. and that's true. It's a really so, interesting topic. It is, it is. But, I mean, you know, if, if someone, um, you know, you know, as women get older, you tend to hear them say, all right, they want to get their eyes done, they want to do this and want to do that. That's always self-esteem stuff? Uh, well, if you're on television and you're in danger of being fired, I mean, sometimes whether or not it should be, it's reality. I, I always uh, I, I tell a story about there was a woman with a man. She was uh, like in her late 30s and he was in his 50s. He was her co-anchor, and they told her they were firing her. They had to get a younger woman to make her co-host look younger. Now, why not get a younger man to make the man look younger? So, yeah, in that case, you have to keep up your appearance, but often then you can do it with something that's minimally invasive. And Mm. certainly, yeah, I mean, in a certain field where beauty matters, uh, you can't ignore it. That's part of the maintenance. But at the same time, obsessing and obsessing over it is going to affect your performance, and that's more likely to hurt you than anything else. That is true. Well, in Hollywood, it is tough keeping up with everyone. It is. I mean, you know, unfortunately, um, looks is so important for, you know, major Hollywood actresses and actors. Well, it's the first thing people notice, even if you're not a major Hollywood person. Speaking of uh, overwhelming uh, surgeries, uh, Julie, you mentioned Heidi Montag before, right? Right. She's the one who had uh, ten surgeries in the same day, in the same day or the same procedure, I believe. But uh, this is an, an unrelated news. You know, she actually fired her manager, who was her husband, and you'd never guess who she hired in his place. Who? I'd like to hear this one. Her psychic. Oh, you're kidding! I believe it. 
she fired Spencer Pratt, I believe his name was, uh, as her manager, and hired uh, Aiden Chase, I believe his name is. It's something about holographic directional light energy projections and all this sort of stuff, but was so impressed with his uh, abilities, I guess. She was, he was her advisor hmm. that she hired him as her manager, which wow. brings us well, back that, to... You know, he probably is good. I, I mean, I had a friend who's a skeptical friend, like I used to be, and he said he didn't believe in psychics because they're not world leaders and they're not business leaders. And I said to him, yes, but since the beginning of time, the Roman Oracle, uh, you know, whatever, Nancy Reagan used a psychic, uh, they used by business leaders and world leaders often without the person admitting to it. They won't do anything without consulting their Oracle in, in the form of a psychic, an astrologer, or anybody else. So she's she's probably on the right track. This guy is probably very perceptive. Mm. <laughs> well, I hope you your own your thoughts on that. <laughs> I, I, your husband really isn't a good manager. Sometimes a husband, a wife, a girlfriend, a parent—they're they're often not objective. But I well, know. not to get into pop culture too much here, but especially her husband. <laughs> yeah, his judgment leaves something to be desired. Well, I would think so. You know, maybe something is changing within her, her brain, the fact that she's changing something else in her life besides her physical appearance. So I would see this psychologically as a good sign. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. Like the person who has been her crutch role all these years, this uh, this advisor of hers, is now advising other aspects of her life. Is that yet another sort of putting yourself in the hands of someone else to take away responsibility the same way you take your face off and put a different one on. Is this, do you think that stems from the same sort of psychosis or something? Well, I hope the psychic is ethical. I mean, people do that with therapists, and one of the things you say is, look, I can't tell you what to do because I don't want the responsibility. If, if it doesn't work out, I can point you in the right direction. So hopefully this is an ethical psychic. This is something we're going to have to keep track of and come back to at a later time. <laughs> and a topic I'm sure we could talk about for a full hour and a half. Uh, but now it's time for our weekly astrological report, the Skywatch Report from Sky McKenna. Hello everybody, this is Sky McKenna with my weekly Skywatch Energy Report. This is a review of the energies for the upcoming week, and if you miss any of this, you can re-listen each week in the archives on AchieveRadio.com, or you can go to my new website, SkyMcKenna.com, and click the link near the top of the page. You can also read the Energy Report on my new blog. There's a link at the top of my website for that, too. Also, my new book, Astrology in You 2010, is available on my website or on Amazon.com now. It's for the whole year and covers everything from astrology basics to major aspects, sign changes, world astrology, and there's a forecast for each sign for all of the upcoming Mercury retrograde periods and all of the eclipses. There are several. I'm told it's very useful, informative, and an easy read. And if you buy it from my website, I'll send you an autographed copy, a free birth chart, so you can follow along with the aspects if you'd like and learn more about astrology. And you'll also get free shipping if you buy it from my website. All the information is there on my website, skymckenna.com. So, we've got the wind at our backs. We're still holding on to our hats. Here's the week ahead in eight minutes or less. 
And this then is for the week beginning Sunday, May 16th, 2010. Well, we're still coming off the energy of Mercury moving into direct motion and that inspiring Taurus new moon this last week. And this week, there's even more energy shifts and changes for us. First of all, Venus is going to be very, very busy this week, and she moves from flirty Gemini to nurturing Cancer. And, among a lot of other things, the Sun moves from earthy Taurus to light-hearted Gemini. But Venus isn't particularly happy this week, and we might have a bit of a relationship roller coaster ahead. We need to be prepared for that possibility. We need to set some clear intentions of what we really, really want in relationships and plan ahead. All in all, we have quite an intense dance ahead of us this week. And the week really begins for us on Monday, May 17th, with both Venus and Jupiter very active. First, Venus will square off with Jupiter, and this aspect can make it very easy for us to overdo or overindulge, particularly in relationships or food and drink or spending. So we need to remember that sometimes less really is more, and try to move forward in a more thoughtful pace, with others and especially with ourselves. And then the Sun will form a 60-degree aspect of opportunity with Jupiter. So really, today has high energy and enthusiasm written all over it. Lots of vitality and physical energy are there for us today. We really just need to remember that we don't need to do it all at once or have it all at once. But it'll be there for the taking. Then Tuesday, May 18th, we have another very active day. The moon moves from sensitive Cancer to proud Leo in the afternoon, and Venus is up front and center again as she squares off with Saturn and forms a flowing trine aspect to Neptune. And the Sun also gets involved as he flowingly trines Saturn. The Venus square Saturn aspect can create some relationship challenges for us and maybe leave us feeling a bit overwhelmed or even a little ouchy. But a trine to Neptune can help us tap into our soul knowing for the solution. And the masculine Sun's trine to powerful Saturn can also lend some solid, powerful energy to our day and to finding any solutions that we may need now. And then tomorrow, Venus will square off with Uranus completing a powerful T-square aspect of conflict between Saturn, Uranus, and herself. So we should be ready for surprises, turmoil, or a crisis, possibly in relationships, if we haven't already found one. But remember, we do have the support of the Sun and Saturn to work a good solution. And so, not to be outdone, Wednesday, May 19th, also fairly burst with energy and activity. The Sun will square off with Neptune, fast-moving Mercury, forms a flowing trine to Neptune and Pluto, Venus enters Cancer, and then squares off with Uranus. Basically, what all that means is that we, or the things around us, can feel a kind of unbalance or uncertainty now. And we'll really want to be sure that we're seeing clearly when Venus and Neptune are involved. Things may not be what they seem, but Mercury's positive connections to both Neptune and Pluto can give our minds the ability to do just that, to see clearly, all the way to the depths. And, however, Venus moving into Cancer for the next month or so will bring us more kindness, more nurturing and love, and more coziness in our lives. We will, again, however, want to be sure that we're not giving to the point of burdening ourselves, and it may also be a little more difficult for us to say no. So we need to be alert for that possibility and choose cozy instead. Then Thursday, May 20th, we have yet another shift in energy as the Sun enters capricious Gemini and also forms a 60-degree aspect of opportunity with the awakener planet Uranus. When the Sun travels through Gemini, we have one of the most social times of the year. It's an excellent time for making new connections and or reconnecting with old friends. Lots of sharing and laughter will suddenly be on hand for us. A very welcome thing, I think. And then when the sun aspects Uranus today, our intuitive flashes may be especially strong, so we should keep a big inner ear out for that still small voice that we all have. And then we need to follow it. 
Friday, May 21st, has no major planetary aspects, but the moon is in Virgo, and we can literally or figuratively clean house. It's a great day for lining our ducks up in our daily routines, work environment, our health, so that we can stand strong and move forward in strength. And then finally, Saturday, May 22nd, we have another biggie day. Jupiter will face off with Saturn and line up for that approaching Grand Cardinal Cross in the sky. A Grand Cross consists of four 90-degree squares and two 180-degree oppositions, and it's considered one of the most powerful and challenging aspect patterns in astrology. And I'll be talking more about this coming Cardinal Cross in the next couple of weeks. However, the end result of this aspect is that it's all about empowerment and realization. It's about awareness. So we'll want to be tuned to what's being offered to us, even or especially in the challenges. And this Jupiter opposition to Saturn actually only happens once every 20 years, so think back to 20 years ago and see what may have been occurring for you. Essentially, this is a dialogue or an argument between tradition and newness. It's about choosing one and leaving the other behind. So we'll want to stay alert to what may appear to be a conflict disguising an opportunity. And we should be brave now and unafraid to choose that new opportunity and the new path. Now this week, I want to talk about what may be coming up for each sign over this next week or so. And as always, this will apply to your sun sign and rising ascendant sign if you know it. Aries, it's time to make your move and plant those seeds for the bright financial opportunity that's on its way to you. Things are going to start moving a lot faster for you and for your money situation now. Taurus, those personal dreams of yours are getting ready to blossom, so make sure you know what your dreams really are. And be prepared to take the action necessary to manifest them. They're at your fingertips now. Gemini, you're ready to act on some information you've received or that you've been waiting for. Get rid of those things that have outlived their usefulness in your life now. And that means people, places, or things, you're ready. Cancer, there are some new friends waiting for you and or some old ones that will be reconnecting with you. And some will bring some new opportunities your way. Be ready to grab that golden ring and don't let the opportunity slip by. Leo, your career is about to accelerate. And you may even get some well-deserved recognition or promotion. Don't rest on your laurels, though. Be ready to put those great creative ideas of yours in writing or into action. Virgo, there's some knowledge and learning coming your way that will surprise and delight you. Be alert to information that comes out of the blue and be ready to step through the door that it opens. Libra, you've got some new support and assistance around you now. Opportunities are on their way related to other people's money or resources and you may have to field a few offers, so consider them carefully. Scorpio, communication and relationships are being renewed. There's some welcome news coming from a partner now, too. Let go of old stuff and old disagreements. Let things be new again. Sagittarius, new work or new work opportunities will be landing on your doorstep. Big changes in your daily schedule are afoot, and you're about to get very energized and able to make some big changes that you've been wanting. Capricorn, ooh la la Capricorn, hope you like romance because it'll be available to you. This could be a renewal or it could be someone totally new. Either way, you're in for some fun. And if it's not romance, you just use that energy for spectacular creativity and laugh more. Aquarius, love, hope, and abundance will surround your home and family. Any hardships in those areas are about to open up, and you'll be finding big and small delightful happiness in very surprising ways. Pisces, you're about to get very busy with all forms of communication and messages. Plan your days carefully, though, so you can accomplish what you want to do, and do be ready for some exciting surprises. Well, that's a wrap for this week's edition of the Skywatch Energy Report. And remember, if you miss any of this, you can re-listen each week in the archives or visit my website, 
skymckenna.com, and the link is right there at the top of the page. And you'll also find a link to my new blog if you'd like to read the energy report. And remember, the animals still need your help. You can feed a homeless animal with just the click of the mouse. It's absolutely, positively, no questions asked free. In 2009, your clicks equaled 92 million bowls of food for homeless animals. So just go to theanimalrescuesite.com and click on the purple button that says, click here, it's free. Well, that's about it for this week. And remember, you never lose by loving. You always lose by holding back. So till next time, take good care, God bless, and namaste. Um, have any have any of you heard about that grand cardinal cross that she was talking about? I've never even heard of that. No, no, I didn't. I'm curious to, you know, hear what she has to say in upcoming weeks. I emailed her when she sent it to me asking for more information because um, she indicated it's one of the most um, powerful and challenging aspects astrologically, and I've never even heard of it. Is that what she said hasn't happened in 20 years? Yes, yeah. Yeah, that must be interesting. I want to hear about that. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks she'll have more and more information to, to uh, you know, keep us up to date. I'm not sure if she said when that was actually going to um, begin, but I think she said in the next couple of weeks. I think she, I thought she said May 22nd, this Saturday. Oh, I think that was something else. That was, oh, okay. Um, um, something else uh, was a very, very powerful aspect. But I think she had said in the next couple of weeks, because she emailed me this uh, yesterday morning, I think, and she said that she was going to be make you know, the next couple of shows she was going to be highlighting, you know, sort of building up to what the impact of that really is. But I Good. never heard of it. I was curious if any of you did. No. I like well, to learn new astrological things. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Well, I kind of—I have a uh, bone to pick with the planets, so to speak. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, just before the show, uh, we were talking. This is for you at home to hear. We were talking about my computer, which um, is infected. It's a very dirty, dirty computer, and has a whole bunch of viruses. And Lady Fontaine, you were pointing out that now that Mercury retrograde is over, that we're not supposed to have problems with our technology anymore. That couldn't be more wrong. Today, uh, unlike uh, other days, well, not entirely unlike other days, but technology has really just been giving me the finger left and right. My phone has been randomly turning off. I go to the supermarket and my things would not scan while everyone else's would. Uh, My watch died. Everything that could possibly go wrong in a technological aspect has been just exploding and like it, it was, it was like a bad Matthew Broderick movie from the 80s. Actually, a good Matthew Broderick <laughs> movie. But nonetheless, uh, Mercury. What the frick? Seriously. Well, what, what, maybe there's something else there? that's affecting it, Frank, because Mercury is <laughs> has gone direct. Although she did say at the beginning of her report today, Sky mentioned that it's still going to take a while for all the you know negative effects of okay. the uh, Mercury retrograde to pass us by. But you did hear Frank say that everybody else's scanner worked. So exactly. it must be something personal against Frank. Ooh. I don't know. See, that's, this, is, this, is, this is why I have a bone to pick. Well, I did nothing to old Hermes up there. Seriously. Well, sometimes when you're upset, I found sometimes when I'm really upset, I don't know what it is, but it changes your electrolyte balance with the environment that uh, uh-huh. an automatic door 
doesn't open or or your, the scanner doesn't work or uh, the computers, anything that requires uh, technology or some kind of radio waves uh, gets messed up. So there's some kind of interaction between your own mood and the environment, and I think that's where this needs to be focused. You know, that, yeah. that's a perfect lead-in. I'm reading a book right now, and it's written by um, Dr. Barry Lipton, and it's about the biology of thought. And he ta- basically talks about, um, you know, he's, a, I guess, a biologist, and he, he talks about, you know, the cell and, and the effect of the environment on the cell. And I really didn't realize uh, that the environment is really 99% of everything. I mean, there certain things could be programmed into a cell that could be genetic, but there needs to be a trigger caused by the environment to have, you know, if it's a disease or a whatever it is, to have it show up. Because I, I haven't gotten very far into the book because I'm still reading all the, you know, the biology stuff. But I never realized that environment um, played such a huge part in science. Well, in psychology, we used to always believe that, you know, your pathology from any neurosis to schizophrenia was psychologically or caused by the family. Now they're finding that it's more caused by the biology, and everybody must have those triggers. Let's face it, everybody's going to have a broken relationship. Everybody's parents are going to seem like they're being mean to them at one point. But if you have the schizophrenic genes and you're adopted by non-schizophrenic parents, you're still more likely to become schizophrenic than if you don't have the gene and you're adopted by schizophrenic parents who are acting crazy all the time. So sure, you know, and maybe it's true that you need an environmental trigger for cancer, for schizophrenia, for depression, but I think that in the environment, those triggers are going to be there sooner or later throughout your life, and and now more and more what's already there, the, the biology is what's important. So maybe some people's biology is more sensitive. Let's say Frank or myself might interact in a stronger way with the electronic world, say, than well, somebody say, else's. But that doesn't mean it's not there. Well, ever, ever since I was a kid, uh, we used to joke around, and, and there's that whole phenomenon with that, that I assumed happened to everybody where you walk down the street, you drive down the street, and the streetlights turn off. And sometimes they cascade down the block that way. Um, I found out later that it actually wasn't nearly as common as I thought. Uh, so <laughs> You're psychic. Not, You're making it happen. <laughs> maybe, well, I have, maybe. I have a whole theory on that, but we'll save that for another show or for later in the show today because um, I, I do want to get to our guests, but... Julie, can you just let people know where they can call? Absolutely. Phone lines are open, so please call 646-381-4141 to speak with Lady Fontaine and Dr. Cirillo, who will be taking your call shortly. Get the best of both worlds as Dr. Jean Cirillo and Lady Fontaine intuitively answer all of your questions. Call 646 381 4141 to get expert advice. Thank you. Well, tonight we have a very special guest. She is a motivational speaker and through her own challenges has developed a four-point strategy to deal with challenges. She is an author and a motivational speaker. 
She is the 2010 Miss Wheelchair Missouri, and she will represent Missouri in the 2011 Miss Wheelchair America competition in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She is truly an inspiration to all that have the pleasure of knowing her or hearing her speak. So with no further ado, I would like to introduce to you Ms. Katie Bannister. Katie, welcome to our show. Great. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Um, Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do to help educate and motivate people with and without disabilities? Um, I'm a quadriplegic paralyzed from the chest down. and I've gotten really good movement in my arms, but my fingers are paralyzed and they don't work. Um, as I said, I'm, I have a spinal cord injury at the cervical 5-6 level in the neck. It's about halfway in your neck. Um, about uh, Actually, 20 years ago, I was in a sport utility vehicle that rolled over as a passenger, and um, it changed my life, but it gave me in such a direction that... Um, I ended up in a in a really good in a really good space with it, um, and I feel very blessed. I mean, when bad things happen, I think it's okay to say, um, "Why me?" But then the second question you have to ask yourself is, "What is this to teach me?" That's something we talk a lot about here on the show: is looking for the gift and the lesson in yes. every every situation and all the the opportunities and challenges that we're faced with on a daily basis. Um, exactly. You know, and I've heard you speak before, Katie, and I it, it amazes me so much when I hear, um, you know, your 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 truly blessed perspective uh, uh, about your situation. Um, oh, where have you heard me, Where have you heard me speak? Um, some of the links that you had originally sent me. Oh yes, 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 yes. Good, good. Thank you. I love what I get to do, and my disability has given me a direction. Um, a lot of people look at me and they feel sorry for me, and I just I just look at them and, you know, you know, they have to realize that, you know, maybe they don't they couldn't imagine themselves living like I do, but you really can't imagine what you can deal with until it happens to you. You know what I mean? Mhm. Yeah, without a doubt. Um I Other I parts of your mind and body take over too when you have some kind of a disability. I know my cousin was brain injured in a motorcycle accident and he was a construction worker and now he goes to school and it's amazing how he can argue like the left brain, the intellectual side that he never thought there was any purpose in using is now developed and in a way he said he's glad because as he got older his body would deteriorate anyway to some degree and now he's using a part of himself that he never had. So um, wow. it sounds like that happened to you in a different way, with a whole new career yeah. and, and everything. Yeah. Prior to my disability, I'd gotten my degree in recreation, and I worked for different parks departments and got a job as a social director for an apartment community And after I graduated from college. And four days later, I was in an auto accident. And um, it, it, it was tough at first, but... I have a great family. They help support me financially when it happened. Um, and I just have been fortunate, a person, a lucky person to be able to go, all right, just, just tell me what i got to do. Just give me the list, and I'll do it. I'll, I'll do whatever needs to be done. And, and somehow with, you know, and that kind of leads me to my four-point coping strategy on dealing with this, how I've dealt with this. Um, my platform for the Miss Wheelchair America competition is creating healthy coping mechanisms. And mine are feel it, think it, write it, say it. And when you practice those four activities on a regular basis, there's really nothing you can't deal with. Wow. I mean, that's so true. That truly, uh-huh. 
that truly is. So do you present that? I mean, uh, is that yes. what you actually speak about then? Yeah, definitely. I've got a whole program on them, but basically in a nutshell is, is being able to feel life and not denying both the good and the sad. It's life, life hurts, and you can't deny the downside of living life. It, it's, it's real. And, and it, anybody who's not living with the downside, you know, is just kind of ignoring it. And, and I kind of feel sorry for them because my depression has um, produced a poetry book. It's produced a book on caregiving, and it's produced a children's book on how, how to educate children um, about disabilities. And, and so all this, and that was also one of my other coping mechanisms, writing. Um, it's getting it out. It's journaling. It's expressing yourself and not worrying about punctuation and perfection, just getting it out. And then you can get editors to help you, you know, later make something into something that can be published. Do you journal every day? Oh, not every day. I go in spurts. I really go in spurts. Um, just when I feel it. When I, I usually a lot when I feel angry, but then a lot I'm feeling good and I'm sitting outside and I write a poem and it's like, wow. You know, I, I really believe it's divine intervention. I know it is not just me at my keyboard, and I know it is not just me in, in my notebook writing. I, I know that I get help. I'll, I'll get a lot of help. Mm. Um, what, did you have that same inspiration before your accident as um, far as the connection I, with Source? Um, no, no, and and it really became I became connected with Source more after I met my husband after the disability. He is incredible. He's very spiritual, and um, he shares things with me all the time. And he makes my brain think in ways I I never thought possible. It's it's he helped me introduce me to guides and the angels and and helped empower me to be able to believe and understand that I'm really not alone and no one is. Mm. And that's the important message, that none of us are alone. Exactly. It's, we've just got to be in tune enough to listen. My fourth book that I'm working on now is called Karmic Validations, The Signs and Symbols Along Your Way. Mm-hmm. And it's about the universe giving you answers, but are you listening and, and adhering to them? And truly the universe gives us answers every day on every, everything that, you know, to guide us, to answer questions to help us along, but 99% of the time, we're just not listening. I know, I know, and the universe is talking to us, and if your decisions are making you feel good, you're, you know, the karmic validation validates you're in the right place at the right time, and um, and I I cite all kinds of examples. Um, My accident was on February 11th, 1990, and the publishing date of my poetry book was February 11th, 2008. It was was pretty cool. You know, the copyright wow. office didn't, didn't know my accident date, but bam, wow. there it was. Wow, and that's my mother's birthday, too, February 11th. Ah, it's a good day. It's yeah. a good day. Yeah. It's wonderful that you actually, you know, can can say that, and I could feel in your energy that you truly feel it. Um, I do. How, how, how has you, I mean, how do you incorporate humor into um, your everyday life, and how has it helped you along the way? Oh, finding reasons to laugh helps so much. Um, kids ask me any questions. I mean, I talk about how I how I go use the restroom, how I eat. I bring my assistive technology. My funniest question, little boy goes, so if we cut off your leg, would you feel it? Wow. <laughs> I said, I said, no, I wouldn't feel it, but, you know, it's. I don't want to try something like that. But um, along the You know what I heard of? people doing in wheelchairs and marathons, you must have heard of this too, that sometimes to win the marathon, they said some of the uh, paraplegics and quadriplegics were cheating, that they would break toes 
because they wouldn't feel it and it would raise their blood pressure and they could move faster. I, I couldn't see doing that even if I couldn't feel it, but uh, I'm sure you must have heard of some of that. Yeah, and the blood pressure is really tricky when you're paralyzed because um, you, you there's autonomic dysreflexia, which means I can't sweat anymore and I cannot cool my body. So it's dangerous with my blood pressure. I have to watch how cold and how hot I get. It's, it's a tricky balance. Well, I okay, things that. that you wouldn't think about. You think about not being able to walk or having difficulty going to the bathroom, uh, but mm-hmm. you don't think about things that like like perspiring. I, I didn't know that. I knew, you know, that when somebody is not that healthy, sometimes their body stops sweating. But right. I, I didn't know that was a side effect with this. I know it affects your kidneys uh, yes. and different yeah. body functions that come from the spine. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do intermittent calfing, which means I empty my bladder when somebody helps put a tube between my legs where you normally pee, press on my abdomen and take it out. And so I do that every four and a half to five hours. And um, I know some people they like have a, a tube that stays in all the time, but I just don't want to do that. I, you know, it's a hassle. It's a hassle to get you know lifted out of my chair every four and a half hours. But the good side, in 20 years, I've never had a pressure sore. I've never had a skin breakdown. I've been very healthy. So life is a trade-off. Right. Obviously, you've worked out a system that works for you. And that's key is a system. And living with a disability, systems are key. Yeah, without a doubt. Katie, what is people-first language? Um, It's politically correct language, meaning um, instead of um, we're trying to get rid of the word cripple or disabled, but you know what? Whatever comes out of your heart I think is going to be fine. People-first language means I'm a person who uses a wheelchair. I'm not confined to a chair because I do get out of it with the help of other people. But people-first, I'm a person who uses a wheelchair. I'm a person with a disability, a person who is black, a person who is Christian. You know, when we use people-first to start labeling us, then it makes us all equal. That's a wonderful thing. Oh, yeah, I think that's a wonderful process. I mean, you know, for any disability, I feel that it's wonderful to not address it in in what you can't do or what you're not, but more in who you are and what you can do, which I think is awesome. I really, really do. I mean, if we would use that philosophy in our society as a general rule, I think we'd be in a lot better place. Well, we can all start doing it tonight, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Without a and doubt, it's a wonderful message. Yeah, thank you. Um, can you share with us one of your poems? Oh, I wrote this poem called The Shade um, when I asked my sister-in-law. And in my poetry book, A Pocket of Poems, I write the story, or, or I write the poem and then the story behind the poem. And the story behind the poem, I asked my sister-in-law if her kids could come hang out with my friends with disabilities, and she said no. So I wrote this poem, The Shade. You can't keep someone in the shade. They'll wither, choke, and die. How can they grow? How will they know what it's like to try? Protection by prejudice is not the way to teach. Try compassion and understanding and extend beyond your reach. Cultivate your being. Don't put yourself above. Shed beams of light. Flee from fright. Because everyone needs love. Wow. Thank you. Uh, you know, the interesting thing, you're, the kids probably would have been fine with your friends with disabilities. They would have accepted it. I think your sister-in-law was the one who had the problem. Oh, totally. And, I, you know, I could have ruined the family event when she, she wouldn't let my, my nieces go, and I could have said something really mean. But 
Instead, I went home and I wrote a poem. So I've learned to take my anger and make art. You're a smooth person because you figure she should have had more sensitivity regardless of what she was feeling. The bonus is she moved out of town and I don't have to see her hardly at all. (laughs) (laughs) So you won. (laughs) Yes, the universe provides. Yes. Yeah. It does. The universe provides if you let it. Katie, um, earlier in the interview, you started to tell us about the three books that you've written. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for us? Um, My first book is called Aunt Katie's Visit. It's a children's first book on disability. It's so cute. It's it's bright colors and illustrations, and it gets people started talking about disabilities. And it kind of targets K through five, fifth grade, but um, adults love it too. It's a really sweet book. Um, our second book got picked up by a national publisher, uh, Demos Medical Publishing, and it's called The Personal Care Tenant Guide, and it's about the business of caregiving, how to find and how to be a good aid. And then the poetry book I just shared. So it's just, and it teaches that it has 10 different styles of poems that I can turn anyone into a poet. Wow. And it doesn't have to rhyme. Wow, I mean, that's truly awesome. I mean, you are so talented, and you're, you're able to really channel this creative ability um, in, in an amazing way. And you did say you're working on a fourth, that your fourth book right now about the signs from the universe. That one really has piqued my interest. I can't, oh. wait, to, I can't wait till that one comes out. Me neither. I just, I just went over the corrections with the proof with the gal who's doing the layout for me, and it's really simple. It's kind of like a beginner's guide to karma, and kind of to make. And if you, if you don't believe in karma, like from a spiritual sense, and you believe in one life, because one gal wrote a chapter for me called "I Don't Believe in uh, Reincarnation, I Believe in Salvation." But I think that you can believe in the effects of what karma is all about, about what you do is what you get, what you think is what you create, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We've actually been talking about karma a lot the past few shows. Um, so, again, synchronicity at its finest. Um, Amen. Is there anything else other than this fourth book that you're working on right now? Well, actually, I'm going to go audition for a children's theater play I want to do over the summer. I'm going to do that next week. Um, I really want a movie. It's going to happen someday. One, an independent film. You know, it's basically about it took a wheelchair to find the man I love. Wow, <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, wow. I, I hope you find the funding and the everybody. You know that that will put it all together for you. I mean, it's a wonderful concept. I want it now, but the universe is saying not yet. Can you share how you two met? We met at the state capitol in Jefferson City, Missouri. We were doing advocacy work, and Steve has a degree in rehabilitation counseling, and he's working at an agency that supports people with disabilities. They're called Centers for Independent Living, and he had brought some of his clients with disabilities to testify, and I was there testifying, and we met 17 years ago, and actually this next week we're going to celebrate 10 years of marriage. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, so it's all good. It's all good, girls. It's all good. (laughs) I think that that's absolutely wonderful. Um, Can you tell the listeners how to get in touch with you, Katie? You can get at me at katie at accessforall.com. And my website is accessforall, which is A-C-C-E-S-S, then the hyphen, then the number four, then a hyphen, and then allall.com. And I'm Katie. I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead. I'm Katie, K-A-T-I-E, 
at accessforall.com. Great, great. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you, you, um, you're currently the 2010 Miss Wheelchair Missouri. Yes, ma'am. Um, I didn't even know that they had that. How long have they had competitions like that? Oh, I think the Miss Wheelchair competition goes back many years. Missouri hasn't had a pageant in about four years, and so I was picked, my application was picked from a couple others, and I will go and represent Missouri, and then I will come back and I'll be the state pageant coordinator. Wow, I think oh. that's absolutely awesome. I truly had no idea. I know, it's amazing. And thank God there's no swimsuit contest. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a beautiful woman, and I'm sure, you know, however you guys, I mean, do you guys do some sort of formal outfits or anything of that nature, or is it more about who you are rather than, you know, what I you're think wearing? I think it's about who. I know that there is a semi-formal and a formal competition, and I've got a dynamite jacket to wear. I won't be hey. in a ball gown, but I'll look still just as hot. Yeah. <laughs> And I know there's going to be there's going to be uh, 30 other women on wheels there. I'm very excited about it. Wow. Do you know when that is? It will be August 9th through 15th in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Wow. We're certainly going to keep our eyes open for that, and we wish you a lot of luck. Oh, oh thank yeah. you very much. Well, Katie, thank you so much for being here. You're truly an inspiration. Um, please keep in touch, and I hope you'll consider coming back on the show in the future. All right, ladies. Thank you Thank so you. much, Katie. Thank it was you. a pleasure again. And to learn more about Katie Bannister, please visit her website at httpaccessforall.com. Thank you, Katie. All right. Good night. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. All right. Well, it's now time for the I Am The Future mailbag question of the week. Dear Lady Fontaine and Dr. Cirillo, I need help, exclamation point. My boyfriend of two and a half years recently asked me for space. What? She put three question marks there, so she's very questioning. Everything was wonderful. We were getting serious, and then he asks for space. My head is spinning. I don't know what to do. He says he still loves me. He says he needs to do this, but I don't understand what got into him. What should I do to get him back? Please help, Kathy from in Fitchburg. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in on this one. Um, first, I want to say that a lot of times when we get questions like this, I don't feel, you know, that oh, they had this wonderful relationship for two and a half years and that they were getting serious and all that other kind of stuff. In this particular situation, I feel it. And I believe that they were truly headed somewhere. Um, I feel he got scared. I feel he need, when he when he's asking for space. I feel it's going to be for a very short period of time. Um, I do feel he sort of needs to you know get his get his you know get his arms around the concept of getting serious with somebody and, and spending the rest of his life with somebody. I'm feeling extremely genuine feelings between the two of them. And I feel she doesn't have to do anything. I mean, certain times Dr. Cirillo and I will give strategy and we'll say this is what she should do and shouldn't do. She doesn't need to do anything. Her best thing, Kathy, Kathy's best um, strategy is to do nothing. Don't, don't be reaching out to him. Don't, just give him the space. And I would say a very short period of time, a couple of weeks to a month, you know, could be four to six weeks tops. 
um, this guy is going to be, if, if he gets the space, this guy is going to, you know, turn everything around and um, come back with a very, very serious approach and, and perspective. Dr. Yeah, Sorrell, I think he's going to realize that he, you know, he doesn't want to lose what he's got. Possibly she does know what happened. It might be that something, it could even be something quite minor. Like I know somebody had once pulled away from me. He was going up to uh, Binghamton, and I said something like, oh, could I come see you at Binghamton? He was like, I don't care who comes. And then he told somebody that he didn't want some girl coming up to see him, and, you know, really, he just wanted to go up there. So possibly Kathy did something minor, like, you know, he was out with his friends, and she said, oh, okay, I'll come and meet you. And he suddenly, it suddenly dawned on him that when he had uh, a living or a wife that he was going to have to answer to somebody, and that scared him a little. So she has to back off. You're right on this. And, you know, let him know that he's not going to be in a box, that she'll let him out of his box, and, and that he'll, he'll have an extra person in his life, but uh, she won't be smothering him. I think he's afraid of being smothered and committed for life, and she's got to make him feel that it's a, a good companionship rather than an obligation or something that he can't get away from. Well, that's some great advice you guys both gave. So, Kathy, thank you very much for your letter. Just to sum it up a little bit from, from, from what I, I'm hearing, you don't really have to do anything to keep him or get him back, but there is hope. So thank you again for your letter. We actually have a lo another letter here, uh, if you'd like, ladies. Sure. It's, uh, yeah. Let's throw this one in, too. Uh, starts, Dear Lady Fontaine and Dr. Cirillo, My boyfriend and I have been dating a year and a half. He graduated last fall and moved back home. I moved, all, I moved back also to finish my degree. Since moving home, our relationship has changed, and for the worse. He doesn't treat me well anymore, and his behavior is really erratic now. I love him, and I don't want to give up, but he's driving me crazy. What should I do? Thanks, Lauren. And then uh, she adds that her boyfriend's name is John, if you need that. So he's not treating her well, and his behavior is erratic. But she loves him. But she loves him. And his name is John. Um, do you want to take the lead on this, Dr. Cirillo, while I'm doing Yeah, I do. In the meantime, I don't know if anybody can do something about the echo in the background or if somebody has a radio on it. It's very distracting. But anyway, I can talk around it, but if I listen to the hearing it, it might be a problem. I, it, I would consider, you know, the thing that comes to my mind that he just graduated, he's relatively young. Is he using drugs? Is he drinking? Does sudden change in behavior usually means something. It could be uh, something similar to the last case. He's not as serious, but he's starting to wonder what he's going to do with his life, whether he's going to be committed. And at that age, you know, men have to first be set in their career, especially men, before they can even think about a commitment to a woman if they want it to work. And sometimes that's a difficult age when a man graduates college and it's like, oh, my God, now I'm not a student. What do I do with my life? And he's upset and he's frightened. And he, he's taking it out on her, but he's turning the anxiety into anger and irritability. And that's something that she's got to explore with him. You know, what is he going to do? It's all right to try different jobs. This horrible economy certainly doesn't help anybody's prospects. 
I think that's his real issue now, that his first concern has to be stability in his life path and his work world, and he's afraid to commit or to promise something, you know, because the, the thing is, okay, I get a job, then I'm set, then I can marry, and then I can have kids, and he doesn't feel ready and he's afraid. So he, he kind of pushes her away because she's a reminder of what the future can hold, but that he's got to first get it together. See, and I feel in her energy that she tries to, what I kind of want to say, control or lead him. Um, and I feel a big pullback from John, um, you know, because it's as if he's rebelling and resisting and not wanting, not that he doesn't want to go in that direction or not that he doesn't want to be in a committed relationship, um, more so he doesn't want to be told what to do. So, um, you know, it, it's curious that I'm picking that up. Um, she didn't say anything in her letter to us to, you know, lead us to believe that, but it certainly is strong in her energy. Um, you know, I feel some potential in this. I do feel a very, very strained relationship. It feels very strained. Strained. It feels um, almost as if they're in this cycle of um, doing all the wrong things and consistently doing all the same things and not being able to get out of this cycle of, um, just spinning their wheels and getting nowhere. Um, I, you know, I, I, I did. Did the letter say how long they were involved, Frank? Oh, I don't know if we, if Frank, uh, Frank might have left. Um, no, I'm here. Frank, Hello. Frank. Hello. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Hello. Did, did it say how long? We can hear you. Did it say how long they were involved? Uh no, no, it does not. Um, it just says since moving. Well, he graduated and he moved back, and yeah. they're together more often now. So sometimes when you're together with somebody more often, they show their grumpy, irritable side, whereas when they come to visit from college for a weekend and then go back, uh, you know, they show their good side. I mean, if you do the math, it's probably about like a year, year and a half, I would think, uh, okay. if, if, if that means anything. Well, I was just curious because it feels um – Worn, you know, to me, an energy. It just feels like they've been through the ringer. Um, my gut feeling is there's somewhat of hope and potential still here, but they need to get out of the pattern that they're in. And it kind of feels to me they have um, sort of like this emotional tug of war, and they they react to things sort of like when he pulls back, she reacts in a certain way, or he's getting cranky, she reacts in a certain way. And they can't get out of that, you know, of sort of spinning their wheels. Dr. Cirillo, when, when that's happening, what would you suggest in a relationship? Yeah, well, I mean, one thing I would suggest is that they have some time apart or that they do something different. You know, maybe neither neither one of them is really ready to commit right now. But uh, the other thing is that that they plan some some activities now here that aren't the usual things. If uh, they hung out with one group of friends, hang out with another group of friends, anything to shake up the routine. Because sometimes there's a certain uh, color that you see on the wall, and that reminds you of the way you have to behave in a situation. So if you go to a different place, maybe if they can take a vacation together or something, you know that might help a little bit. And it could make things worse, though, or, or or bring to not make things worse, but bring to a forefront whatever's wrong. But you know, maybe this isn't the right relationship. I think they're they're both pretty young to uh, 
to be sure now that this is the one. Mm, I, I would agree with that. So I guess our best advice is, um, you know, uh, give it a little bit of time and see see where things go. But I just feel it's critical for them to sort of break out of their current um, knee-jerk reaction with each other. And I feel to some degree just doing that will change the dynamics in the relationship. Yeah, you don't want to be in a tired old rut like a middle-aged married couple until you're a middle-aged married couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's true. That really is. <laughs> Hopefully some people never get that way. But I, I was going to say, and even then, it. you don't really want to be in that rut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, the, the, this young guy has to be, has to have his own life straightened out first as far as work in his future and becoming a little bit more secure within himself and finances and career path, and then the relationship can become a priority. I agree. I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um so, uh, Dr. Cirillo, um, do you have any other projects underway? Oh, boy, do I have projects underway. Well, I have a book that I'm working on on the chemistry of love. Mm. Yeah. That sounds mm. like it's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, oh, there's going to be some new material coming out in it. I mean, it's relatively new because it involves uh, brain scans and, and types of research that couldn't be done even 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. What actually happens in the body when a couple has sex? They got oh. a midget couple, a, a very small couple, mm-hmm. to go into an MRI, no kidding, and have intercourse, and they were able to track through the MRI what happens in the body during sex. That is really amazing. So who's doing this? I mean, where are you getting this 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 data from? No, it's already done. I'm I'm getting the data from what's out there, but it's out there academically. Originally I was supposed to do the book with my old publisher, but then for whatever reason the editor I had wasn't the original editor on my first book about IQ testing. And he he cut out a lot of this stuff. He just wanted to work on hormones and neurotransmitters, and those are going to be in the book too because what happens in the brain and uh, when somebody's in love, when they're passionate, uh, when they're uh, among family members, that's important too. But I also want to include this other uh, juicy type stuff. So I'm still at the point of working with my agent. We're going to give it to one publisher, and then she's going to circulate it at a book fair. I hope something comes of it because, I mean, I like it the way the outline is, and it's relatively new stuff, and it it can tell you a lot of advice about how what you should do at certain stages of love and how to keep the passion going. But, again, I, I can't guarantee that this is going to come to uh, fruition. That's well, you happen to know a psychic who could tell you. <laughs> oh, you know, I've never asked you. Just like people who ask me for help as a psychologist, it's, it's really – not that appropriate. I've never asked you. I, boy, this is a good time since you suggested it that I know a psychic. I honestly, to this moment, I don't like to ask people for anything, and I never thought to ask you, will it happen? But now you really <laughs> held it out in front of me, so now I have to know. So do you want me to say on the air? Yes, please. It's going to be big for you. 
it's going oh, to be very, on. very big. Um, I, 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 you know, um, my head I'm is spinning skeptic. with some of the stuff that you're saying, like, you know, about the, the, the data that's already out there. But I just feel the way you're going to be writing this and the perspective that you're going to be, um, the voice of, the, you know, of, of how you're presenting it is going to be phenomenal, Dr. Cirillo. And I feel this is going to be, if you're looking for, you know, like a bestseller book that's going to get you on everybody's, um, you know, uh, dinner table conversation, you know, this is going to be it for you. The household word. Yes, yes. <laughs> Literally. This is, the it. MRI. this is it. And, you know, it's like when you were saying it, I was saying, well, that's an interesting concept. But then when you were just saying about sending it out to the publishers, I'm like bursting inside because it's, I could see it aligning. It, I could see the domino effect you know, sort of aligning for, for you. And once it hits, man, it's going to hit big for you. Do you think anybody will publish it? I mean, that has to be first. And sometimes, you know, the, the, the original people killed it just because I couldn't quite get the layout of the kind of books that he wanted, which was a minor thing. But he said, we make a lot of books. He didn't want to have to do a lot of editing, unlike my previous editor who loved editing. He did not like editing, and he got very upset about things like real anal kind of character person. I don't care if he hears this. Uh, you know, like I would put bullets instead of a paragraph, and he got all bent out of shape. Didn't you know you're supposed to not have bullets there? So I said, I'll take the bullets out, you know. So some people, you know, am I going to set it up right and that it's going to be acceptable to a publisher. That's what I'm concerned about. Well, I do feel that it will. Um, if you want to email me, like, the person's name or something like that or what publisher it is, um, I'll tell you if I'm feeling that that's the right person for you or the right publishing company for you. You um, mean the one that we're presenting it now right. with the agent. She's right. also bringing it to the book fair. But right. uh, I do have a contact at a house that's interested. So I could email you that right after the show. Now you get my going. You got me going. You volunteered. I honestly <laughs> never thought to ask you. What do you think the timing is, Lady Fontaine? Well, it feels to me, actually, that as far as lining up a publisher and getting the wheels really turning on this, it's yeah, definitely going to be out. before the end of this year. Before the end, okay, and then how about as far as when it actually uh, hits the shelves? Um, Notice I said when and not if. Good, and I'm happy you did say that. Um, it's it's going to be sometime in 2011. Right now I'm getting more, um, what I kind of want to say, August through, um, well, right now August and September look to me to be really prime times in 2011. So if you're not pub, if this book isn't published, and I really don't know how long it takes these days to publish things, um, but my gut feeling is August to September of next year are going to be monumental for you. Oh, and I actually see this being, you know, on the bestseller list or something of that nature. Close to it. Yeah. I mean, if it yeah. isn't the bestseller list, then it's going to be, you know, a book club of the month top book or something a high, like that. A high seller, yeah. Yes, yeah. it's going to be right up there. It truly is. And again, when you were saying it, it felt to me it would be a very selective audience. But what my guides are telling me is a tremendous perspective. Oh, this is general, the chemistry of love. Everybody wants to know. I mean, look at all the calls and letters we get. So love and relationships are of 
universal interest. And that's what I just picked out the exciting parts because I know that that entices people. But somehow the people with the power to publish want more than that exciting uh, <laughs> thing. They want to make sure that you're going to line it up and finish it and sell and credentials are appropriate and everything else, you know. So they have their little nitpicky things that I always have trouble uh, I know. accommodating myself to, little details. I mean, what what the downside of working with this particular publisher just sounds like you having to do so much of the editing. I've never really heard of that before, where a publisher isn't stepping up to the plate and doing the editing. My original editor with my first book loved the IQ stuff with all the little designs, and she said it was a lot of fun to work on your book. This guy is a senior editor, and he's the one who said he really didn't want to edit. He wanted somebody to have the layout down. It's a special publisher with special layout. Now, the advantage to the to the second book the way it is now is that there's no special layout. It can be more for a general audience, which is making me happy. I'd rather have something that's just uh, a, a universal kind of layout uh, rather than that it's in some sort of a special camp-type form, especially if the editor doesn't want to put it in the form and, and wanted me to do that and didn't have the patience. Uh, yeah, he wasn't the right editor. I could hear, hear immediately in his voice, like, you know, this guy is not going to be like the woman I worked with. But it's so frustrating because sometimes you have to work with people you don't get along with where your chemistry isn't right. Or you're the source, so the your planets aren't aligned, but that person could be helpful. So that's always a frustrating thing for me in my life, not only with this. It's been a constant frustration between my creativity and the human being who wants things a certain way and stands in the way of creativity, and then he or she becomes frustrated and creates more obstacles than I think should be there. Are we here, lady? Oh, yes. Um, sorry. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> um, the, from a law of uh, attraction standpoint, you would need to be resonating at a certain frequency to be attracting that into your life. Oh, I do. I do. I attract the people that I, that I fight with. Well, That's so is, is, that, is that because you're, of your inability to relinquish control or to trust? I feel it's more a trust issue. Possibly uh, picking the wrong people who I might feel comfortable with because they're acrimonious type people, but at the same time, they're not the ones like that first editor that are really pleasant and nice to work with and friendly. I'm not that comfortable with the people that are the good ones to work with. I'm more comfortable with the difficult ones, even though I have difficulty. So why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Well, maybe that's my life script. I don't know. Let's look at the old Mars and Pisces. What what should are you kidding my natal chart? What did Mars and Pisces say? My life would be a constant struggle for popularity which would rarely if ever be achieved. Well, and I'm gonna tell you when I was giving you the prediction, I was thinking about that. Thinking that your your astrological um you know, configuration or birth chart is playing against what um, what I was telling you, but certainly the potential and the potential is coming through at a, an enormous, you know, number right now, like ninety seven percent. 
that what I told you is indeed going to happen, that this chemistry of love is going to be a bestseller book for you. If it ever gets out there, and you think it will not get if. out there. It's not, not if. if. That's right. Keep saying when. I don't when it gets feel out. It's an if. Right. I don't feel it's an if. I feel it's a when. And you can fight against what your astrological chart predicts. As we, I forgot the name of the guest we had a few weeks ago, and this is what we talked about, that even when you have a psychic reading or an astrological report, even if it's not something you want to hear, we have free will and we have the power to change through our thoughts and our actions what, up warning what is predicted. Like, I've had dreams of, of an accident. One time I had a dream that I had an accident with a van, that there was a blonde girl driving the van. And I avoided an accident a couple of days later, and I looked up, and sure enough, it was a van with a blonde girl driving. Wow. So, yeah, sometimes the warning, if you heed it, can, can help you prevent something. I, I have seen that. Wow, and that's also something that Katie was just, our guest was just talking about, the signs from the universe. Exactly. Right. Your dream was a, a definite sign from the universe. Oh, I And yet another... Thing another uh, sign that Dr. Cirillo is psychic. (laughs) You know, when she was saying that, I was sitting here thinking, I'm amazed, Dr. Cirillo, that you never thought that, I mean, you were a skeptic. You weren't even aware of your intuitive nature. How can that be when you were having experiences like that? Well, maybe because, like you said, I like a lot of control. And one thing you can't, do I mean you can obviously do it because you do readings in person and on the phone, but that I can't do or I haven't yet learned to harness the power so that if I try to predict, I can do it. Now I'm aware that sometimes, like let's say the second editor, I had a bad feeling about him from the beginning. So, but the, but that can come from your perception of the person's personality. But I can't decide. Okay, what's going to happen in three days? <laughs> you know, let me beware of this, or let me stay home that day. It's a bad day, or let me go out and get an opportunity. And and I'd like to be able to turn it on and off that way. And psychic ability is just the opposite. It comes to you. You can't come to it. So it's very frustrating for a person like me. Well, but the first steps is learning how to. Um, really listen and hear your your intuition and then trust it. Like, have you ever just had a feeling that, oh, if I, you know, go down this aisle in, you know, a parking lot, um, even though you don't think that there'll be an empty space, there's an empty space. Or, you know, you you take a new way to work today and then you find out that there was an accident or something. That always happens. Really? However. When I'm in a hurry to find a space, what's more likely to happen is I don't go down an aisle, and I'm down the other aisle, and all of a sudden I see there's a space. And then by the time I get there, somebody already took it. In other words, it works in reverse. Absolutely. Now, what do you you mean by absolutely? Well, if she's really worried about it, I mean, she's probably giving up the energy that she really needs a spot instead of trusting yeah. that she's going to get right. one. So what is that called? That's called the law of attraction. Exactly. I know. I, I, my yeah. favorite thing to practice the law of attraction with is with parking spots. I, because the city, oh, really? I live in the city, and the city is so yeah. difficult to find a parking spot. Yeah. I mean, as soon as someone pulls out, someone else is in, and it's always the person in front of you that gets it. So when I drive in from Westchester, which is about a half hour away, I'll start with my thoughts, and I'll start picturing someone pulling out and me getting the spot immediately. And I swear nine out of ten times it works. 
When I'm not doing it and I'm just rushing to find a spot or getting angry that someone else got the spot before I did or going up the wrong street, I can't find a spot and I have to put it in a lot and end up paying, you know, $200. But when I actually use that and trust, I always get a spot. Wow, my favorite, it's my favorite practice exercise for wow. love attraction. No, and that's wow. good. But parking now in New York City is $200 a night. No, I was exaggerating. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go, gee, last time I parked, it was about, you know, $80. Well, no, no, uh, overnight would be about $30 right, or so. But right. still, you know, you do it enough, you don't want to be paying those fees. No, that's very, very true. But that is a perfect exercise and a perfect way to start really – you know, A, learning the law of attraction, and B, getting that faith that indeed the skills that we talk about and the, and the things that we, we preach every single week indeed do work. And one key element that I want to talk about that Dr. Cirillo was doing that you pointed out, Julie, wasn't right, is that she's sending out lack because she really wants it. And what is it that we talk about all the time? When you want something, you're sending out um, a message of lack to the universe. You're sending out that message of not having it, Therefore, the universe sends you more of not having it. And more of just wanting it. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of like being desperate to meet somebody. When when you don't, you're not hooked up with somebody is when it's hardest to meet somebody. When you just met the person of your dreams, suddenly people appear from the woodwork. Right. Because now you're sending out that you have something. Mm-hmm. But That's when right. you're really desperate, you communicate the desperation, whether it's money, love, any value, you, you communicate the lack. And I have to remember that because I do have a tendency to wear my feelings on my sleeve. My rising sign and my sun sign are both Scorpio. So even though I'm secretive, in some ways what you see is what you get. And when I'm feeling down, it does show on my sleeve and, and when I'm when I'm happy and full, that's when I get the most, whereas otherwise the lack definitely comes through. I don't hide it as well as some people would. Right. I know that also it's what you give away, you get back. And so sometimes when I'm really in the mood, and it takes a lot of focus and trusting, but when someone gets a spot before I do instead of getting angry, I'll send out love vibes and say, you know what, I'm so happy for that person, they got a spot. And then I'll get one. Right. <laughs> And oh, truly, when okay. you come from the right place with that, you really will manifest it. Because when we feel jealousy and envy and resentment and all these other kinds of things, we're again reinforcing to the universe that we don't have the very things that we want. And that will always manifest more lack for you. So what Julie's talking about is truly the ideal perspective. It's hard to do. You know, when you really want something or you really desire to have something in your life and it's not a matter of, um, you know, feeling that, that yearning for it because that's going to keep it away. It's either knowing, that deep inner knowing that, yes, it, it will come to you or it is in your life and you just feel confident with it rather than wanting it. Um, or like you mentioned, Dr. Cirillo, when you're totally content and, and, and you have what you want, that's when you start drawing in and attracting everything because you're content, you're radiating contentment, so the universe sends you more things to be content about. And it's that's a, why it's I like practice. It's frustrating because it's like you say, where was this person or where was this thing when I wanted it? Now all of a sudden it's either a feast or a famine. But it makes sense. You're, you're, nothing succeeds like success, and you're attracting more because you don't need it. 
And that's why I practice with um, parking spots, because it's not the end of the world if I don't get one. So you practice with small things that don't really change your life. And then once you start getting things, the smaller things, you start to trust it, and you start to trust it with the bigger things. Because it's so difficult to trust it with something that you really want that's going to change your life, like a like a significant dollars. other or a book publishing deal or anything that's just, you know, your biggest dream. Exactly. Well, I've been trying to win the lottery, and, and it hasn't come through yet. <laughs> well, you can't use it selfishly. You have to use another oh, side. You keep reminding me of that. <laughs> and, and I, I always I do that because do it, though. you cannot help yourself get rich, but you can help somebody else. That's why the major world leaders and the business leaders might not talk about it, but they use people like you, and that's why they get rich and powerful. And you don't. You're going to have to use another psychic. Well, my th- but oh, isn't it true you thought. lose it if you if you use it too selfishly? If you get too greedy with your own psychic ability, the, the source takes it away from you. Well, the, to some degree, you're absolutely right on that. But but um, if I'm if I truly believe that I that I am go either going to win the lottery or have won the lottery or I just have that sense of total um, you know uh, abundance and prosperity, I just feel that and and really entertain that on a daily basis in my life than if it's the lottery or some major you know tv show or something that just drops into my lap something will come and that's not me using it selfishly that's me just coming from the right place and sending the right message out if I was using my psychic abilities to pick, you know, the numbers and I was able to pick it for you, Dr. Cirillo, and I was able to pick it for Julie, and every time I tried to pick it for myself, um, I couldn't win. Um, that, well, you know, that I agree. If you're going to use your, your psychic abilities for selfish means, you're not, not going to prosper with it. You're just not. Even if you manage to pull a win, in the end, it's going to end up coming back to haunt you. Right. I I remember hearing something interesting about winning the lottery because money in and of itself is nothing. It's what right. you can it's buy with the money mm-hmm. and the way you're going to feel once you have what you think you want. Right. Mm-hmm. And so asking for money is, it doesn't really work. No, it's, the, it's going to the essence of what's behind it. Right. Right. So right. it's an so interesting that's, concept. That's weird. Like I said, if you truly feel abundant and you feel prosperous or you feel... Um, that you already have it, that's when you're going to draw it in, not when you're sitting there and going, oh, if I just had, you know, $50 million and I could buy this and I could buy that, that's wanting something, and you're always going to keep it away. But if you truly felt it, and it was, you know, as if, you know, how sure am I that, um, you know, that uh, the mailbox is in front of my house, you know, unless somebody comes and knocks it down. It was there yesterday. Right. You know, or how sure time. am I that when I, uh, you know, take my key and turn, put it in the ignition that the car is going to start, I'm 99% certain that it's going right. to do that. And like you said, you may not win the lottery, but the what you're wanting will come in another way. Yeah. And that's what usually happens. It usually doesn't come in the way we, we, we try to direct it. That's why when people say to me, well, I only want this person or I only want this job, they're so limiting their, 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 their themselves that in reality they're not going to draw in anything because they're not open to what the, the gifts of the universe. If I keep on giving you gifts and you keep on refusing them, how many more gifts am I going to keep giving you? Right, right. It, this would be a great show in the future, just an entire show on the law of attraction. 
I think we should do that. I want to do that, and I want to do yeah. conversations with God. I mean, those are two two shows that we definitely have to do. Don't forget to visit Lady Fontaine's website at ladyfontaine.com to learn more about her or to schedule a private reading or life coaching session. Lady Fontaine is an internationally known psychic and life coach. You can also follow Lady Fontaine on Twitter, Facebook, and NING for her latest announcements. Also, please take a moment to make Eye on the Future a favorite here on Blog Talk Radio and send us a friend request to get special offers from Lady Fontaine. Please visit our show page on Blog Talk Radio for details on all of our co-hosts along with their contact information. Be sure to send your questions to mailbag at ladyfontaine.com to have your questions answered live on the air by Lady Fontaine and Dr. Cirillo. Thank you, Frank. To find out more about our guest, Katie Bannister, be sure to visit her website at www.access hyphen the number four hyphen all dot com. Again, it's www.access hyphen four access all dot com. I think we've had a great show. We hit on a lot of topics, and I think that we have some. Uh, Great ideas for future shows. Oh, yeah. No, I'm very excited about it. And um, Katie was wonderful. She really is such an inspiration. Oh, my God. I mean, she truly is. I mean, her perspective of life and things is beyond amazing. I mean, we're talking earlier about body dysmorphic and how someone doesn't like a millimeter that their nose is off. And yet, and, and then you look at her and you're like, wow. Know. You know, someone someone could really learn from her. I know. And that's actually another show, just body image, that I would like to do sometime in the near future. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, no, that that is. But thank you to all our listeners and callers for inviting us. In, oh, ha, 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 oh, wow, <laughs> maybe somebody else should do this closing here. Thank you to all our <laughs> listeners and callers for inviting us into your homes and for sharing life's experiences with us. We love hearing from you. Thank you to our guest, Katie Bannister, who is truly an inspiration to all that know her. Thank you also to my co-hosts, Dr. Jean Cirillo, Frank Todaro, and Julie Zellman. Special thanks to Rachel Look, who did a great job screening calls today and helping us with the switchboard. Thank you. Many blessings to each of you, and I am in gratitude to all of you. Have a wonderful week, and remember to honor yourself, and you'll automatically draw in countless experiences that honor you. Paranormal enthusiasts, remember to tune in to Frank Tadero's The Invisible World. Either call 718-508-9285 or check out the show page here on Blog Talk Radio for The Invisible World. Good night, everyone. Hope to see you back here next week. And remember to reclaim you. We are always here to honor and support you and provide the guidance to help you aspire to all your dreams. Good night, all. <laughs>